It's great to have you with us today. We're in week three of our summer series. Church right or right, church, we're asking this question, are we doing church right or just looking for a church? You know, there's all kinds of churches in our culture. There are all kinds of churches in our community, in our county. I tried to find out how many churches are in Clackamas County, but I couldn't find anything accurate. But I'm pretty accurate in saying there are 19 churches in our area, about 10 minutes drive from the hub of Estacada, 19 churches. Some of those we partner with very closely, some not so much for some very good reasons. I read an interesting story about some churches in a small community that had a problem with squirrels. I want to tell you this story. There was a Presbyterian church in the community, and they had this squirrel infestation, so they prayed, and after they prayed, they concluded that the squirrels were predestined to be there, and so they shouldn't interfere with God's divine will. There was a Baptist church in the community, and they decided, because these squirrels took an interest in the baptistry, that they would just put a slide down into the baptistry and try to drown them. But they found out that squirrels knew how to swim, so that didn't work. There was a Lutheran church, and they decided they were not in a position to harm any of God's creatures, so they humanely trapped the squirrels and set them free near the Baptist church. <laughs> but they came back later because the slide was taken down at the Baptist church. The Episcopalians tried a much more unique path they put out pans of whiskey to try to poison the squirrels. But then they found out how much damage a group of drunk squirrels can do. <laughs> the Catholic Church, they had a creative strategy. They baptized all the squirrels and made them members of the church. And then they only came at Christmas and Easter. <laughs> I love that part. But there was a Jewish synagogue, and here's what they did. They just took the first squirrel and circumcised him. <laughs> so our text today that we're looking into, this is our third week, 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's a pretty succinct passage, and it all ties together. It's got a lot of practical truth in it for us as a church. The Apostle Paul, inspired by God to write these words to his young friend Timothy, not just about how he should conduct himself in church, but in a bigger way, how he should view the church. I'd like you to read it out loud with me. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. So as we read at that time, I'm sure you're starting to see those four 
images, the household of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and support of truth, and the mystery of godliness. We're trying to capture it for these four weeks with the church as a family. Two weeks ago, last week, the church is a force. This week, the church has a foundation, and next week, the church has a focus. So by way of review, we're a church family. That means we should treat each other as a family, brothers and sisters, means we should make commitments to one another as a family, we should submit to one another as a family, we should, we should take responsibility for the family. We're not McDonald's, we're not Applebee's, we're a family. We talked last week about the church being a force, the church of the living God. So no matter how weak we are in and of ourselves, there is the living God working in us individually and then working through us corporately. That's why Jesus says the gates of hell cannot stand against the church because it's not us, amen? It's the living God, the omnipotent God that is working through us. So practically what that means, and when God leads us individually as well as corporately to a task, to a job, we always say yes because we know that God will work through us to accomplish that. So today the third phrase is the pillar and, the, the pillar and support of the truth. Now I tried to capture that with this word foundation because I like the alliteration, it's just kind of the way my mind works. But I also want us to see it's not just that we have a foundation of truth, but we have a responsibility with that truth. And you'll see how that's going to work today. Let's pray together. Father God, we're thankful again for you, uh, that you are, uh, you're living, you're with us even right now, and we have truth to consider, your truth and the spirit of truth to teach us. So please teach us today. I want to submit myself to you that as I speak, that uh, you would be pleased to uh, use that or even overlook that and teach by the power of your word. For Jesus' sake, amen. Truth. You see the word in the text today, the pillar and support of the truth. That word obviously is used a lot in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We worship the God of truth. And so we're going to kind of cast the net wide this morning and then bring it up a little bit tighter towards the end about practically what that means. Scripturally, Old Testament and New Testament, it's very clear that the triune God that we worship is the God of truth. Now let me just show you three passages. When Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, he says, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes. So the Spirit of God, as seen in the words of Jesus, is the Spirit of what? Say it. Spirit of truth. You're familiar with the John 14 passage where Jesus says, I am the truth. Not just I speak truth or I tell you the truth. He says, I myself am the truth. And then in the Old Testament, there's this passage that Jesus actually quotes while he's on the cross. I don't know if he quotes it, but he alludes to this, 
where it says, into your hand I commit my spirit, you have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. So we see that Jesus, even in that prayer, and from the Old Testament, that God, in this sense, I think God the Father, is the God of truth. I won't put it up on the screen, but one of the most repeated Old Testament passages come from Exodus 34, where God actually tells Moses in his own words, however that was communicated, Moses, this is who I am, and he says, I am compassionate and gracious, I am slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. So that's an important uh, piece as Moses now hears from God, and then that's repeated a number of places in both Old Testament and New Testament, that God is a lot He's, he's a great big God, amen, and yet he's the God essentially and initially even the God of truth. So then truth is important because it's God, it's his character, it's who he is. That means it should be important to us, amen? I hope you could say amen to that. But truth is much debated today. And not just today, but always has. Remember when Jesus stood before Pilate and Pilate asked that great question, what is truth? Truth was standing in front of him, but that's a great question. What is truth? I did, I, I did some reading, kind of like, what are people saying about truth? And as you would know, it's kind of crazy and very confusing. Let me just show you one, and, and maybe this will make my point. This, I don't even know who said this or wrote this, Living your truth must come to represent that which is true for you alone and unhindered by outside influences. Your truth is the essence of your spiritual nature. That is, once the mental facade has been transformed, the truth gives way to the light of your being. You kind of want to shake your head at that a little bit. I just want you to notice the obvious your truth. Your truth. It's like you have to find your truth, and it doesn't matter what anybody else says or even what God might communicate. You have to figure out your truth. And I guess that, in a way, makes everybody their own, like, demigod, right? Because everybody can come up with their truth. Now, that's not a biblical view of truth. You know that. It's a dangerous and destructive view of truth, but it's the culture we live in right now at this moment, which is why we see the destructive things happening because we've come to this point that everybody can live out their own view of reality, their own view of truth. So what is truth then? Well, God is truth, and so based on that, as I'm, whenever I'm asked that question, I actually asked that question to a few people this week, and some couldn't even begin to give an answer. What is truth? Truth is God's view on anything. Truth is what God says about anything. It's how God sees things. It's God's reality. That is eternal truth that is communicated to us in any number of ways, particularly through the word that we'll see today, and even through creation, God has made himself known. 
So God is the source of truth, and God is the giver of truth. So let me just make a few statements just to lay the groundwork. His truth, or truth, does not change. It does not vacillate or morph or evolve. It's not discovered through a group consensus or a public opinion poll. Truth, then, is essential to our lives. It's foundational to the universe. It's foundational to any culture, to any individual. It is foundational to the, to the church. We don't get to create truth. We are allowed to discover the truth of God and then allow it to impact our lives. So with that in mind, what is the church in this text? The church is the pillar and support of the truth. Here's what I discovered this week, and I'm going to share it with you in just a moment here, but you look at the word truth as it's used in all of the Apostle Paul's letters that he wrote, and it's in every one of his letters, but it's particularly in the letters that he writes to Timothy, his first and second letter. It's there more than it is anywhere else in everything that he wrote. And that becomes important for us to understand this statement because he repeats over and over to this young man, he keeps coming back to this issue of truth. And right in the middle of 1 Timothy and then uh, right before 2 Timothy, he makes this statement about the church. So real quickly, I just want to show you all the things that the Apostle Paul says about truth to Timothy that lead up to, I think, our understanding of this text. So real quickly, I'll just go through these. 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, Timothy, this is, a good and this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the, say it, truth. Now, you're going to have to do that a number of times, so get ready to say truth. I'm just telling you right now. He's saying, Timothy, God desires that all people from all walks of life, from all ethnicities, from all locations, from all languages, he desires that they come to salvation. And to do that, you have to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, the truth right there, and we're going to end our study today, is a very specific truth because there can be no salvation unless you know the truth about who? Jesus Christ. Okay, we're going to end there today. 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says, Timothy, some are going to fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the Timothy, there are deceitful spirits, and there are men who have been deceived by these spirits, and they're telling lies. They have no conscience anymore because they've repeated lies so much and lived in deception so much that their very consciences are seared. Your people must know the truth. Moving on to chapter 6. If anyone advocates a different doctrine, does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil sus sus suspicions, 
and constant friction between men depraved of mind, deprived of the who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Timothy, I've told you the truth, but there are still people repeating lies and they're doing it for their own gain. These people's minds have been distorted. They've rejected the proof, the truth, and they're de deprived of the truth. He goes on to say, in his second letter, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handing the word of Timothy. You must know the truth yourself. You must know what has been revealed in written form to you. You have to accurately handle it and know it. He says again, among them, these that distort the truth are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the... You're getting weak. You're getting weaker every time, okay? Saying that the resurrection has already taken place and they upset the faith of some. Timothy, it's sad, but some within the church have gone astray from the truth. They've heard the teaching, but now they've come up with their own novel ideas and it's affecting the church. And Timothy, I'm asking you to step into this. He moves on. Just a short sentence later, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Timothy, you have to know the truth, but don't be a jerk about it. You need to be gentle. You need to speak in ways that will help them understand. And, and if you do that, maybe God will help them repent. And they've been held in in the snare of the devil because they're believing lies. And Timothy, that's always what happens. When you believe a lie, he goes on. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the... and will turn aside to myths. Timothy, it's only going to get worse. Church people will just want people to stand up and make them feel good about themselves. And they, their eyes will kind of be numb to the truth. They don't want to hear it because it causes them to be uncomfortable and they like these other things better. And then in the middle of all of that, he says this, I write so that you know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. Read it with me the pillar and support of the truth. Timothy, Timothy, this church I put you in charge of must understand the truth and what their responsibility is regarding the truth. So let's dig into that phrase then. What does it mean, pillar and support of the truth? One big question is, are those kind of just synonyms, pillar and support, to drive home this foundational nature of truth? Possibly, 
that I think they're enough different that he's actually making two points about the church's responsibility for the truth. This is one of the places where the Apostle Paul uses architectural terms, but this is the only place it's related to the truth in his writing. So the question for us today, as we gather as a church, as I stand up in front of you kind of as one of the Timothys of this flock, what's our responsibility to the truth that God has entrusted to us? Now here's what's really interesting. When those words were read by Timothy, Timothy didn't have the blessing of the completed written word of God that we have today. He had Old Testament scripture, Even all of the New Testament hadn't been written down yet. It certainly wasn't put in a book that he could look at. So we're really blessed, amen? And I would say we do not appreciate how blessed we are as followers of the God of truth that he's given us this book. It's written, it's objective, that we can pour over, that we can pray about, that we can read and memorize and preach and teach and share with people we have the beautiful revelation of God's truth in a book. Understand the historic Christian doctrine is that the God of truth has revealed himself in the pages of a book. And that book is different than any other book. It is for his glory, it's for our good that he's given us this book. There is no other book that stands next to it. And let me just say here that if there's a so-called church that takes another book and holds it up to the Bible, that would make that group a cult. It's one of the defining features of a cult. They don't hold to just the Word of God. They take other writings and say this is equal to the Word of God. Every other cult or every cult has that distinction. What makes the Christian church historically different is we say the Bible is God's truth, period. Please make that distinction. Now, the Bible doesn't speak to every topic in life, but the topics that it speaks to, that's God's view of it. That is truth. God's word speaks to many issues today that we call cultural issues. But if God's word speaks to them, that makes them what? Biblical issues. (laughs) A lot of people say you can't speak about that. That's a cultural issue. Well, if the Bible speaks about that issue, that makes that issue a biblical issue that we can speak to authoritatively. So God speaks to the issue of sexuality and gender. His word is very clear on that. There are two, a male and a female, and God has determined that, and there's a proper use of the sexuality between those two genders. That's the truth. It's in the Bible. God's word speaks to the issue of human government, what its purpose is, how he uses it, and when there would be times when we resist it. God's word is clear on those things. That is truth. God's word speaks to the issue of family. What God says about family in his word is the truth. Are we getting that? 
And there's lots of opinions about family, what makes up a family, but God says a family, the nuclear family is mom, dad, husband, wife, and their children. That's the family. God's word speaks a lot about money, a lot about possessions, what our view should be towards them. What he says about money and possessions is God's unchanging truth regardless of our wealth or not. God's word speaks to the issue of ethnicity, what we call race issues. And what God reveals about that is the truth that there is one race on the planet, not many. God's word, of course, speaks to the issue of sin, forgiveness, heaven, hell. And what God's word says about that is the truth. Are we getting that? Those are not cultural issues. Those are biblical issues that we must present as such. So then what is our responsibility as a church? He says, you're the pillar and support of truth. So let's just look at those two words, the pillar and the support. Now, everybody in Ephesus understood pillars because I pointed out last week, the centerpiece of Ephesus was the Temple of Diana. I showed you this picture last week that is surrounded by 127 60-foot high pillars. So again, I don't, well, I, I can't say for sure, but I'm just thinking that one of the reasons that the Apostle Paul writes pillars to Timothy there in Ephesus because he understands that. Everybody in the church would understand what a pillar does. What does a pillar do? It holds something up. That's unmistakable. The church universal, the church local, and I would say you individually and myself individually as part of this church are a pillar of the truth. In other words, our responsibility is to unashamedly lift it up, proclaim it, present it as it is the truth. So what does that mean for us as a church family? What that means was when you come in here, you should hear the word of God spoken, not somebody's opinion. When you ask questions in this building, our first response should be, well, what does God say about that in his word? Our children should be taught the word of God. Our teenagers should be taught the word of God. When we have marriage issues, we should speak to those issues from the word of God. See, a pillar just keeps holding up what is true. So we need to be ready in every situation to say, well, let's look to the scripture. Let's see what God says about that. Let's, let's lift it up. Now, if we keep doing that as a church, I believe that will be more and more costly in our culture. Are we willing to still be the pillar of the truth? George Orwell, interesting guy to say this, he said, in a time of deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. In a time of deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. Are we there yet? We live in a time of deceit. If we continue to tell the truth, I believe it would come to a point where that becomes a revolutionary act, and yet a pillar only has one job, and that's to lift up the truth. That's the responsibility of the church 
in the culture, I believe. We live in a culture of relative truth. We lift up absolute God-given truth. We live in a culture of half-truths. We should present the whole counsel of God. The church is the pillar of the truth. So we exist in no small measure to make sure that truth is known as much as we can make it known within the walls of this building, within the ministries that go outside of this building. We have all kinds of ministries helping people. We have showers. We have food stuff. We send out food to children at the schools, and we're doing all we can to make sure that in that is the truth that they can read that may, maybe by God's grace it will touch their heart. Now, we're not responsible for how people respond to the truth, but our responsibility is to lift up the truth. That's what it means, I believe, when he says, Timothy, the church there in Ephesus is the pillar of truth. Lift it up. That other phrase or that other word, and support, that's a little bit harder to grasp simply because it's the only time we read that word in the New Testament, which always makes it difficult. It's captured with other words other than support. It's captured with the word foundation or buttress, or ground, mainstay, bulwark, base. It seems to have this idea that it is something that something else is laid upon, that it's placed on. It seems to have this idea that truth then has been placed on the church, it seems like the Apostle Paul is saying this, that the church, as it has this responsibility to lift up the truth, must first receive it, accept it, exactly as God intended to, it is the truth, and to accept it. To accept the weight of God's truth on it, this responsibility that's been given to us. So we understand this pillar is proclaiming it or lifting it up. This support is to accept it and to hold it and to receive it as God designed the church to do. See, we can't lift it up if we first don't accept it as it really is. Amen? We won't proclaim it boldly if somehow we're really wondering, is this the truth? Is the Bible really what God desires to communicate as truth? You see, we can't proclaim and lift up God's truth unless we first accept it and receive it from God as truth. Let me say it another way. We have to receive it personally before we can proclaim it practically or publicly. That's us individually and us corporately. We have to accept God's word has been given to us so that then we can take the responsibility to give it out to other people, honestly and even boldly. Let me show you an illustration of this. The church at Thessalonica. Look at what the Apostle Paul writes to them. For this reason, 
we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. The Apostle Paul's writing said, I am so thankful for you guys. We came and we presented to you the word of God and you received it, not because we gave it to you as somehow the apostles, but you recognized that what we were giving you was the word of God. It was truth and you received it as such. Understand the word of God is presented in the words of men, right? Men speak the word of God. But it is to be received as the word of God. Even as I'm before you today, I'm speaking, but I'm speaking to you the word of God. Are you receiving it as such? And notice that when the Thessalonians received the word of God, it performed its work in them. Because that's what God's word does. Now, here's what's really interesting. I don't know in what setting the Apostle Paul spoke the word of God to this church. But by his own confession, the Apostle Paul says, I'm not a skillful speaker. You could read that in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, I'm, I'm not a good orator. And I think that's a little bit what's behind this. We spoke it to you, and maybe we didn't speak it really good, but you received it as it really is the word of God. And it changed them because they received it probably from a really poor presenter, the Apostle Paul himself. Now, if you didn't see it, there's a really important application for us if we're going to do church right in our culture. Let me draw the application to make sure that you get it. To do church right means that you come to church expectant to hear the Word of God. You come ready to receive the Word of God. You come alert. You come prepared. You might even read the text ahead of time to know what whoever's speaking is going to be speaking about. Did you know that's in your newsletter every week? How many of you actually knew that? Yeah. We tell you on Friday or Thursday, what it is somebody's going to be presenting to you from the Word of God. And you can read it ahead of time. You can become familiar with it. And then you might even pray for whoever's going to preach that day. See, that's coming expectant to receive the Word of God. You might even go to the bathroom before church so you don't have to get up right in the middle of the sermon. You come ready. That's doing church right because you're expectant to hear the word of God spoken to you. Let me tell you what looking for the right church means. It means you're looking for the best orator, the best communicator, the best storyteller, the one that can hold your attention, the one that can keep you awake at least. The one that can make you laugh, make you cry, make you feel good, make you feel guilty, all in one sermon. You're just looking for the right communicator. 
Understand, people look for the right church anymore instead of trying to do church right. Hear me now. If we are doing church right, then it shouldn't matter who the communicator of the word is. What should matter is the content of the message. Amen? Is it the word of God? So whoever's giving you the word of God becomes absolutely not important. Are you hearing the word of God? It's not about the communicator of the word. It's about the content of the word. That's doing church right. You're just expecting that you're going to hear the word of God. And as you believe it and allow the Holy Spirit to work, it's going to change your life regardless of how poorly it was presented. Let me say it one more way. If we are doing church right, we come prepared to receive the word of God, not come to critique the communicator of the word. Many of you know the Old Testament story of Jonah. He's a prophet. He was the preacher who didn't want to preach. <laughs> Remember? Go to those people, and he says, I don't really like those people. I ain't going to those people to preach. And so he went the other way. God gets his attention, and he ends up going to the people because he's supposed to preach to those people, and he doesn't even like those people. So he ends up getting there in Nineveh, and he preaches a sermon. Here's his sermon. You ready? Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's the sermon. I've preached over 1,500 sermons, prepared others. I've heard lots of sermons. You have too. That is a terrible sermon. <laughs> it's terrible. It's like he didn't even prepare. Where's the catchy introduction? Where's the smooth transitions, the funny illustrations, the gripping conclusion? It's not there. And yet, how do people respond to this terrible sermon? Well, it tells us, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. How does a really bad sermon get such an amazing response? Because it was the word of God. And the word of God accomplishes what he wants it if it's presented clearly and believed. Now I know there's a other side of that and you need to know that I expect anybody who stands up here to present you the word of God to be prepared to do it as well as they possibly can by the power of the Holy Spirit, to study, to craft it, to know it, to be able to present it as clear as they can. That is the expectation, but please understand, anybody who stands up here is human and weak and frail. They are simply cracked pots trying to present something that is of value to you. But if they're presenting the word of God, then it's your responsibility, if you're doing church right, to receive it. Regardless of how it's been presented, 
Understand that anybody should be able to come into these chairs on a Sunday morning and be expectant to hear the word of God and leave being blessed and challenged because you heard the word of God. You didn't hear a well-crafted, corrugated sermon. Jesus tells us that the truth, he tells this to the disciples, the truth can set you free. Do you believe that? Yeah, you can be free from deception, free from bondage, free to live as God desires. But someone said the truth will set you free, but first it will make you miserable. (laughs) I think that's true. When you first receive and believe the word of God, sometimes you're miserable, but that's the work of the truth inside of you by the Holy Spirit. The people in Nineveh were miserable, but guess what? They were free from judgment. (laughs) Amen to that. But they were miserable because they were convicted. Truth hurts. And the truth of God was presented to the people of Nineveh there, and they believed God. They believed that poorly presented sermon was the word of God, and it changed their lives. I pray that we'll just keep doing church right and keep presenting the word of God and being ready to receive it. Amen? and trust God to do his work in us. I think I'm done. Church is a family. It's a household of God. Treat one another as brothers and sisters. Church is a force. It's the church of the living God. I hope maybe you came today expectant because God works in us and through us in this setting. And the church has a foundation. The foundation is truth, Jesus Christ himself, God's word that we've been blessed with. And please let me remind you, God's word is always the truth. It's always true. So our responsibility to that is to gratefully receive it, to hold it, to accept it as it is, and then boldly lift it up and proclaim it and let it do its work in us and in the culture that God has placed us. I believe that's doing church right. May God help us do that. I want you to notice in that part that's circled there, there's that three-letter word in front of truth, the. That's an article. Here's what an article does in both Greek and English. It gives something definitiveness. We are the pillar and support of the truth. I'm kind of laying the ground for next week, okay? There's all kinds of truth that I need to present to you that whoever preaches can present to you. But there's one definite truth that you must hear over and over and over again. It's a truth about Jesus Christ. I think that's what this is driving for. We are not just the pillar and support of truth in general. We are the pillar and support of the essential truth that somebody needs to hear to be saved. That Jesus Christ, God eternal, took on human form and came to the planet. He wasn't a spirit child. He was God in flesh. And he lived 33 years of perfection in honoring his father and obedience to the word of God or the truth of God. 
He was sent on purpose that eventually, in his 30s, he hung on the cross taking punishment of the humans of that time, but of God Almighty, and that punishment was not his. The gospel truth is that punishment was yours, amen? It was mine, because I've sinned against the eternal God. But there's plan was always been in place from eternity past that he would solve our problem by coming to us, taking our sin, and receiving the punishment so that if we would believe, put our absolute, complete trust in him, then the judgment that should be ours is now accepted on Jesus, and we then get his righteousness. That's the gospel truth. We need to keep coming back to that over and over again. We, um, as we, those of us that have the opportunity to stand in front of you preach, that's always kind of a point where we talk about one another's sermon. Did you get to Jesus? Because if you didn't get to Jesus, you didn't give us everything we needed. Um, as I was working with some pastors, this goes back a few years ago, one of the pastors says, what makes a sermon a Christian sermon? Somebody said, well, if it's at the Bible, no, that's not a Christian sermon. Well, if it's in a church, no, that's not a Christian sermon. A Christian sermon is a sermon that gets us to Christ, eventually, in the Word of God. And understand, Old Testament, New Testament, it all is pointing us to one particular truth, the truth of Jesus Christ. So as I say that again, I challenge and pray for anybody here that you know about Jesus but you haven't surrendered your life by calling out to him and simply saying, God, I need you. I'm a sinner. I receive what Jesus Christ has done for me. I give myself over to you. You could do that today as we pray and even as we sing as we close. Let's pray together as the musicians come. Father God, we're thankful again that You've entrusted us with truth and that you're the God of truth and there's so much changing around us. I'm just so thankful today that you've never changed and what you communicate to us has never changed and we struggle because, Father, we recognize that your truth is becoming more and more um, revolutionary in our culture. Would you please help us hold on to your truth? Help us, Father, because we know... Um, it's hard at times in our personal lives with family and friends we know sometimes that people at work it's hard to just say no this is the truth but help us be those people that would present the truth Father I will pray I always pray for anybody here that they just need to submit to you to come to know truth in a personal way please work in them right now Move them to call out to you for forgiveness, even for healing. Father, thank you again for who you are and the stability you give us.